Welcome, everybody. This is the first ever episode of the Live Fire Cooking Podcast with Derek Wolf, Christy Vanover, and myself. And we're super excited. This is going to be a lot of fun kind of diving into what's happening in the wood-fired cooking world. So we'll start with a little introduction. I'm Jonathan Miller. I'm one of the co-founders of Brio. We manufacture a lot of different wood-burning fire pits and grills and things like that um, for the outdoor industry. And I do a lot of cooking myself. Um, Christy, why don't you tell us a little about yourself? Sure. Thanks, everybody. Nice to be here. Um, I am Christy Vanover, and I love to grill. I run the website girlscangrill.com, and I try to teach everybody the basics of grilling all the way up to competition barbecue. That's awesome. Derek, how about you? Uh, yeah, my name is Derek Wolf, and I run Over the Fire Cooking. Uh, I specialize in open and live fire cooking, uh, and I find ways to make easy and approachable recipes uh, and how-tos for people to get outside and enjoy the great outdoors over an open fire. That's awesome. So one segment of this show, now that we're all introduced, is that we talk about what's been cooked in the last week and just dive into some details on that. So Derek, why don't you tell us a little bit about something you cooked in the last week and get us started off? Yeah. Um, so I tried out this new style. Uh, well, it's not really new, but uh, something that I found recently. Have you all ever heard of reverse marinating? No. No, I have not. Yeah. So everybody's heard about reverse searing. Uh, and there's a lot of other things, especially everybody knows about marinating. Um, but basically the concept is that, um, because there is, uh, because the muscle tension can actually be, uh, kind of tight on raw meat, uh, marinating, a lot of food scientists are finding out it actually doesn't penetrate into the meat as far as we, uh, as far as we thought it did. Um, so it doesn't actually make it as tender as we thought. Uh, so what they're like, they're finding out is that, uh, the meat uh, is actually the tension in the muscle is um, a little more loosened uh, once it's actually cooked. Uh, and so there's a lot more uh, availability for the marinade to get inside the meat. So what I ended up doing is um, I, I used a picanha uh, and I sliced it into steaks and uh, I put some seasoning on it and I grilled it over the fire and then I pulled it off. Uh, and while it was resting, I rested it in a herb um, steak sauce kind of marinade. Uh, and I let it rest for about 12 minutes and then uh, pulled it back off, seared it for about a minute or two over the fire real quick uh, and then sliced into it. And, you know, it was uh, I, I will say I tasted the flavor all the way all the way down into the center of the meat. Um, so, wow. Yeah, I want to I want to do some different stuff with that and try a few other things because uh, it was just my first time going around with it. But um, it was really interesting, actually. Adam Perry Lang, uh, he uses it a lot in his in some of his restaurants. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I've never I've never heard of that. Have you Have you ever heard of that, Christy? No. And what I you know what I like about that because I was hesitant. Because you were saying that you were then soaking it in the marinade. I was like, oh, man, you're going to lose all that good bark and that crust that you created. But the fact that you threw it back on the grill after it rested to get that sear back, uh, that sounds really money to me. That sounds – I'm going to definitely have to try that. Yeah, it I'll makes sense if you think about – go ahead, Derek. Oh, well, definitely test it out, Christy. I know um, – I, I mean, I've never heard of it before, but I, I want to do a few other things. I think uh, 
The next thing I'm going to try with it is like a skirt steak and marinate it in chimichurri afterward and then sear it over the fire like for a minute. Um, yeah. I think that would be really good. Uh, yeah, I'm just, I think I'm, I'm curious to see uh, what the flavor can actually turn out to be over a period of time. So do people do this on all different types of meat or specifically like, like obviously, so like, for example, uh, like with chicken, um, you see a lot of times people will marinate, you know, because like to get some penetration, marinate for a couple of days or that kind of thing, like before, beforehand, um, would this, would a reverse marinade work for chicken? I think so. I think it would work great with pork. Um, I know with, uh, with beef, it's a little different because I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend marinating it for very long after because I, as Chrissy was saying, you don't really want to lose the crust or the bark on it. Um, however, with chicken uh, or even with pork, I actually think that you could probably marinate it for a little longer. Uh, maybe even like I only marinated the steak for about 12 minutes, but I think you could marinate pork or chicken for maybe an hour afterward and then sear it back over the fire. Um, and it, it's kind of like you could just marinate it inside of a Yeti. Um, I I think that that would be so at least it would keep temp in some way. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So you like hot marinate it, basically. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. I mean, Christy, what do you think? Yeah, I think that I wouldn't. I wouldn't like put it back in the fridge, but so yeah, like a Yeti without any ice in it, that makes sense. And then it's, you're just maintaining the temp, but I would probably pull it off a little bit sooner, like maybe like 10 degrees sooner than done. Cause there's going to be that carryover heat. Um, and then let it kind of continue kind of basting in that marinade. And then when you throw it on, it's going to get a, you know, rise a little bit more in temp too. So yeah, since I, I like my pork at 145 and my chicken usually right around 165. So I might, might want to pull it off just a little earlier than that. Huh. Yeah, I like the concept. I want to give that a shot for sure. Yeah, I'm definitely going to try that. It's interesting because like the whole reverse sear concept has just, I mean, it's been around for a long time, but it seems like it's really, really taken off in the last couple of years. Um, I do it a ton with venison where, I'll, where I will smoke like a backstrap, for example, on the, on the egg and then transfer it to the fire uh, for like that high heat sear. Um, it'd be cool like playing with reverse searing and reverse marinating at the same time um, with some yeah. cuts. Yeah, that would be cool. Cause not only are you then getting the smoke all in there, but then you're going to amp it up with a little bit of that marinade, you know, a little bit of citrus, maybe some acid and then yeah, that final crust. Mm. Well, yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't really screw with the, uh, the initial crust period. So you would end up, um, like I can see obviously on with beef, uh, I think reverse searing and then reverse marinating would be the better option of, of everything mm -hmm. because then you wouldn't have to deal with uh, like making the outside of the crust maybe a little soggy and then searing it again. Um, so I don't know. I thought it was interesting. I thought I, I'm, I've never heard of it. I don't think it's relatively new uh, maybe concept, but I do think that uh, food scientists – uh, I was reading a couple articles about it are, are just coming out more and more in favor of saying that um, there's actually a lot more pros to doing the marinade after you cook the meat than there is actually before you do it. And it kind of makes sense when you think about like, you know, we're always supposed to let our, our steaks rest at you know, eight to 10 minutes to let all the juices kind of flow um, and the color and texture kind of come back to because it, it sort of tightens up when it hits that heat. So obviously juices are transferring through that meat after the cook because we kind of 
you know, mm-hmm. messed up the, the chemical equilibrium. And so they're all kind of moving around. So it makes sense to me that that would also kind of carry the marinade with it. Yeah. A little subway of flavor. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Christy, what have you been cooking last week? Um, so this last week I did fried chicken. I did Nashville hot fried chicken, actually using Derek's new Nashville yeah, hot rub. Yeah, yeah. My, 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 uh, my rub is coming tomorrow, so I'm getting pretty stoked. Sweet. Yeah, so I, I actually fry my chicken outside. Um, multiple reasons why I do that. Inside, you know, you can just get grease splatters. And then as much as fried chicken smells good, you just don't really need your house smelling like fried chicken for a few days. Um, so I do it outside and doing it over fire, I feel it gives me a lot more control over my heat um, by using a grill like a, you know, you can go with something like a Santa Maria or Kudu or something that gives you that flexibility on height. And so when your oil reaches that temperature of, I usually shoot for like 350 to 375. If it gets too hot, you can just, uh, you know, raise that skillet up. If it gets too low, you, you can lower it back down. Um, the one thing you just really got to be careful with when frying chicken over fire is obviously you don't want to spill that oil into your fire. So if you are raising and lowering the skillet, I like to actually pull the skillet out of the kind of the ring that holds it and then raise and lower my arm just because I don't, I don't necessarily have the great strength to like lift that whole thing of oil up and down gently without dropping it all into the fire. So just, just a little bit of caution, but once, once you hit your oil at the right temperature, it's, it's so easy. I do a kind of a triple dredge. I, I dredge it in flour, um, seasoned flour. I threw the Nashville hot chicken seasoning in there. Um, and then I dunk it in buttermilk, usually mixed with some hot sauce. And then I go back in the flour and then that gives it kind of that second coating of the flour to get it really nice and crispy throw it in that skillet full of peanut oil, um, cook it to about 165 when it's nice and golden brown, but 165 on the inside. And then for the Nashville hot chicken, what I have found over time is that, so the concept is that you want to mix that really spicy seasonings with the oil. But when in the, in the past, I've just poured more oil in a bowl and mixed it and it gets kind of greasy. But if you use that hot oil that you've already been frying in, mix that with the seasoning and then give your chicken a really quick dunk, the oil's so hot that it almost like fries the seasoning onto it instead of actually like just making it drippy and greasy. So it just adheres to it really well. You do it really quickly um, and then just serve it with some white bread and pickles and you're good to go. <laughs> I've been getting hungrier the longer you've been talking there. Chris. Yeah, that, sounds, <laughs> that sounds awesome. <laughs> that sounds awesome. So um, when you're, when, when you're cooking, Chrissy, who's the, who's eating the food? I mean, do you have like friends and family nearby that can help you with all the food you're eating or how do you take care of that? Yeah. So it's me and my husband. Um, so the two of us, we <laughs> eat pretty well. Um, and then we've got, we do have family in town. We've got his parents and some cousins and stuff. His cousin was over the other day as I was doing some experimenting and bring some leftovers to work every now and then too. So yeah, we, we try to share the love. That's awesome. Um, Derek, do you have, I know most, I mean, I would say most weeks, both of you probably cook more than once. Um, is there anything you cooked in the last week or two that you think, um, people should know about oh man um all of it uh, <laughs> that's, that's why we should follow you on instagram right then you can see everything <laughs> that's kind of the point you know um there there have been a few things that uh have you know recently every once in a while i do i do something where I, i'm pretty critical of my cooking pretty critical right 
every once in a while, every once in a while, I'll do something. I'll be like, wow, that was actually really good. <laughs> um, so I, uh, I recently did these Thai chili peanut chicken thighs. Um, and man, I think that was probably one of the things that I, I've been sincerely blown away. I did it on the, uh, a little, the little Oklahoma Rambler, uh, which is one of the new Oklahoma Joe's, um, uh, just like their direct cooking grill. It's their portable version. Anyway, I wanted to try out and see if I could even like cook anything directly on it or if the grill space was too small, uh, ended up working out, but, um, it was a lot of fun. I mean, basically, uh, I didn't do a reverse marinade. I did an initial marinade, but it was with uh, Thai chilies and uh, peanut butter, soy sauce, a uh, little rice vinegar, sesame oil, honey, garlic, salt, lemon, um, and a little bit of lime. Uh, marinated the chicken for about four hours, uh, and then I smoked it for about an hour. Um Man, I don't know. It's it's a it's a simple recipe. It's not necessarily. I think uh, American culture is really uh, warming up to um, a lot of interesting uh, ways of cooking, especially international ways of cooking. Um, this is obviously probably an American twist on a more Asian uh, styled recipe, but um, I, I don't really cook with a lot of peanut butter. Actually, this week. Uh, I'm going to be doing uh, a peanut butter hanger steak. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see how peanut butter can work on red meat. Um, yeah, that that's definitely an interesting twist. We'll have to see how that actually turns out. What do you, you're hanging it like in a smoker or how are you, how are you hanging it? Uh, so it's just a hanger steak, meaning that uh, that's the, well, the steak. Gotcha. Yeah, 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 yeah. The funny cut name. Um which is just kind of more of a butcher's cut uh, in a lot of ways. But, you know, that's another funny thing, too. I'm sorry. I was just talking while I was out there hanging out with you guys um, out in Pennsylvania. I've been talking a little bit with Haddleman's as well um, that, you know, I, I think we're in this weird renaissance where some of these butcher cuts are now almost as expensive as like the prime cuts. Right. Um, right. I mean, that hand yeah. steak is, is, is getting up there and skirt steak is like, Man, you can, you can buy a ribeye for how much you pay for a skirt steak. Yeah, it's um, funny how that works. It's kind of like I feel like that happened to brisket like years and years and years ago, where it was kind of a trash cut until we figured out how to smoke it low and slow, and now it's like a you know a great expensive piece of meat from if it's from a you know from a good cow. Yeah, have you seen that at all, Christy? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, I work with the beef industry quite a bit and I was, I was just at the certified Angus beef headquarters and they were showing us some of those unique cuts of meat. And, and it's, it's funny cause they were saying, you know, I was with a bunch of uh, restaurant chefs and they were like, well, don't tell too many people about the cut. Cause then once it gets popular, it's not going to be that <laughs> inexpensive cut anymore. So it's people like Derek and I, who are, you know, showing people how to use these inexpensive cuts that make them more desirable, I guess, and then <laughs> raise the price up. So yeah, supply and demand. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's awesome. funny too. I mean, that's my fun. The, the the fun thing I have is like, how can I make common, like you know, everybody loves steak and everybody. Well, most people love steak, uh, and most people love all kinds of the traditional cuts. But I'm, you know, the fun thing for me is like, okay, let's talk about the fun, weird stuff that's that nobody's cooking. I mean, um, I, I remember two years ago I found out about Terrace Major. 
um, mm-hmm. or you know, petite tenderloin or faux tenderloin or whatever you want to call it. And just the other day, I was at the butchery, uh, and there was uh, like a you know a young working mom, um, and she said, you know, I I'm I only want Terrace Major. That's all I want. And I was like, Wow! All right. So obviously <laughs> things are making their way um, into a lot of the the, the common consumer uh, instead of just us who, uh, you know, we we find out about these cuts and we have fun with them, see what we can do. And now everybody's kind of like, no, I want I want Terrace Major. I want the the next one I'm working on is uh, oyster steaks. So oh, yeah. Want to do some fun stuff with that, but there's just a lot of weird and fun things um, for butcher cuts that I think are really interesting. Yeah, and it's I think it's go ahead, Christy. No, it just still amazes me too, though that like tri tip is so hard to find on the East Coast. Like tri tip here is like everywhere, and it's still rather affordable. You know, less than a ribeye per pound. But um, I mean, it's it's huge here. But whenever I you know I'll post a recipe or do something, people on the East Coast I'm hearing are saying I just can't get that cut from my butcher. So. Um, yeah, so I think it's still a really regional when it comes to different cuts too. Yeah, definitely. Um, Christy, you said you had some competitions coming up. Is that right? I do. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So, um, I'm part of the Kansas city barbecue society. So what that means is we, when we do our competitions, it's four main meats. Um, we start with chicken. Most people do chicken thighs. Um, then we do ribs and we do pork butt and then we do brisket. Uh, this competition, we have all that involved, but then there's also some ancillary competitions. And so that's one of the things that I've been working on this weekend. Um, there's a big Cabo Wabo kind of element to it. So we have to do a tequila infused dish as well as prepare yeah. a margarita. Yeah. <laughs> so I've been playing around with a lot of tequila this week. Um, I'm- <laughs> <laughs> That's not a bad week. That's a good week. <laughs> I know. I know. Lots of margarita testing. And <laughs> oh, you have a, such a terrible job, Chris. Yeah, I know. I, I know. It's so bad. <laughs> you need, yeah, um, if you need help, I can help. Awesome. Well, you have helped. I've been using your rubs. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. So that, I, um, tequila is so good on, or what are you putting it on? So I've, I've been playing with a couple different things. So one of them is an ancho tequila uh, glazed bacon wrap shrimp. Um, I've been struggling a little bit with getting the bacon as crispy as I wanted to. Uh, I think I'm going to just go direct fire. I was trying to do it on a pellet grill to get some smoke at a high heat. I actually had a grease fire at one point because I just did just hit the bacon and the shrimp straight on the rack instead of putting it on a racked pan. So just got some, some grease in there, but it's all good. Um, but I think it's still not getting crispy the way I want to. So I think I'm just going to just go live fire instead of going with a smoked effort on that. But then I was also working on a... Um, using your hatch seasoning, I was working on this hatch, basically like crack dip is what my family decided to call it. It's got a lot of cheeses and your hatch seasoning, some cream cheese, some tequila mixed in, and you just eat it with some tortilla chips. And it was pretty darn good. Sounds like crack. (laughs) (laughs) So can you tell the listeners or those of us that don't know as much about the competition world, like kind of how that all, all goes down? Yeah. So we usually show up on Friday. Um, the judges or not the judges, but the organizers come around and they do a meat inspection. And what they're looking for is to make sure that you haven't pre-seasoned or pre-marinated your meat. You're allowed to trim it in advance. So like with chicken thighs, for instance, there is a lot of detail that goes into getting the chicken thighs looking like these beautiful little pillows. You take the skin off, you scrape the fat off of the back of the skin, you flip it over, you 
trim out the vein inside and some of the other fatty elements inside the um, area near the bone. And then you wrap it all back up in the skin. So you can do all that before the competition, but you can't do any injections or seasonings or rubs or marinades or anything like that. So the organizers come around, they check your meat, they make sure that you haven't done anything like that in advance and that it's being held at the right temperature. And then we usually have a cook's meeting. And then um, Friday is usually when most comp- competitors start to inject their meats and rub their meats and then light their pits at varying times. Um, if I'm doing a comp with brisket, I'm usually up by like 1 or one thirty in the morning getting things going. Um, then, But others are cooking hot and fast. I like to cook my brisket at 225. Others like to cook theirs at 300 or more. So they're rolling in at like 5 or 6 a.m. To, to light their smokers and get them going. And then it's really kind of a slow pace all the way up until about 1130. And then when 12 o'clock hits, that's our window for turning in our chicken. And then every 30 minutes after that is another meat element that we have to turn in. And it's really like intense and high energy and fun and can be disappointing all at the same time because you don't know after like, you know, a 12 hour cook, how perfect your meat is until that moment that you're actually unwrapping it, cutting it up, saucing it up, making sure everything's perfect putting it in the box and, you know, you take those bites and you can, you can adjust your, your flavor elements a little bit at that point. But from a tenderness standpoint, there's not much more you can do if your brisket's a little tight or your ribs are overcooked or things like that. So that's where you can run into that disappointment stage. So it's just a lot of practice to really get that timeline perfect. And then you put it all in the boxes, turn it into the judges. There's six pieces for six judges. Um, and then usually around five o'clock on Saturday, you find out the results and the goal, you'll, you'll hear the expression, get a call. Um, so the goal is to hear your name called. Um, for me, my goal is always to, to hear my name called one time. I mean, would I love to win the whole thing? Absolutely. But if I get my name called one time and I improve my overall score from my last competition, those are like my two goals. I've been doing this for two years and there's teams that are beating me, obviously, that I've been doing this for like 10 years and stuff. So right, right. I've got a long way to go. <laughs> That's awesome. It's a great little snapshot into that whole world. Um, Derek, do you want to talk to us a little bit about your, you flew out last, was it last week to uh, do that REI event, which is kind of interesting to me because it's sort of talking to a, a little bit of a different crowd than what a lot of us are talking to most of the time. Um, do you want to kind of let us know what happened with that? Yeah, yeah. Um so I went out to uh, Southern California and we, uh, we did some just really, really simple uh, live fire cooking stuff uh, while we were out there just talking. Uh, I, you know, I hosted a Facebook Live uh, with REI and uh, one other uh, girl from um, Monica Goes show. Uh, and um, yeah, we... So we did uh, chipotle garlic shrimp skewers with veggies, and then we topped them um, with my classic chimichurri. Uh, so it wasn't all that overly complicated when it comes to the grilling aspect of it, uh, but it was a lot of fun um, to get out there. I think uh, I've already seen with uh, uh, some of the responses that um, even even in the REI community, uh, even in that like... I think there's quite a few different sectors inside of uh, people that love the great outdoors, but this sector being those that are really into um, hiking and the adventure aspect of nature. uh, I still think that they're super open to, okay, so how do we make good food while we're out there? Cause everybody has to eat. Uh, And a lot of them, um, 
you know, I think after a while the get the camp stoves are great and they're easy, but uh, everybody wants to try a little bit over cooking over a campfire. Um, so I think there it it was a fun and eye opening experience to realize that there's a lot of people out there that are more than willing to learn how to cook over a fire to fit inside their dietary restrictions, whatever they're willing to do. Um, because it's really just more about being outside than it is about really anything else. That's awesome. So was that experience, like, I, I feel like a lot of the REI, could there be, of course, tons of overlap, but um, like your hardcore grilling barbecue community um, is a little bit different than that. Um, was it, how was it like hanging out with, with that side of it? Did like the questions that were being asked, was, did, was it, did you notice a difference between that and the grilling side or was it actually more uh, similar in, in vibe than what you were thinking? Well, so I think that what I, what I learned um, is that that community is still uh, in a level of, they, they really don't want to take it overly complicated. Sure. Um, yep. So they're willing to stay at that, like, you know, that, that starting level. Um, and I'm sure that there are people there that are willing to go crazy um, but a lot of those people are just like, okay, how can I make something simple and easy over the fire? That's going to be nutritious and, you know, fit my needs and feed my family or my friends or whoever. Um, right. and so that's what that recipe did. So most of the questions were really set, like they were just open-ended, like what can I cook for breakfast? Um, what, what can't I cook outside? Right. Um, right. right. And for both of those, I mean, they're all simple answers. You you know, you can easily do eggs and uh, veggies and scrambles and all of the above foil packet meals right in the in the coals, whatever you want to do. And um, and the other thing is, is that I just said, honestly, I don't think there's anything you can't cook outside. Just you need to have the right equipment um, to make sure that the food stays at safe temperatures um, and that you're able to cook whatever you you have, uh, and have the right gear for it. So, I mean, that's the fun thing is I really believe that there's, there's nothing that you can't cook outside. If you don't like, if you put your mind to it, you can cook almost anything. Um, yep, I agree. I agree. So, I mean, it may not look like the pristine, you know, thing that you would have in a controlled environment inside your kitchen. But I think that's half of the fun. It's like, how close can I get it? Um, so I think that that's fun. It's definitely, um, you know, I mean, these guys, I, I, I know there are the, that outdoor recreational community uh, is way more focused on the outdoor aspect and the adventure aspect. Um, right, right. But everybody needs to eat. So campfire, uh, whether you're out in, a national park, um, or you're just going into your backwoods on a, on a fun hike. Uh, everybody's looking for safe and easy ways to cook over an open fire. Um, especially in, you know, in that community. And I think what's awesome too, about that is people like everyone, we're all on a spectrum. We're all on a journey of in, you know, in our hobbies and things that we're doing. And so if someone can get exposure to wood fire cooking, uh, in that community, in the camping, you know, hiking environment, you know, they may get passionate about it and bring that back to the backyard and really, you know, get more complex with it and do more interesting stuff. Um, but we all have a starting point. And so I think it's really cool that, you know, providing some content for that community, I think is really, is really awesome. 
Christy, what do you think? I know that you um, you actually by day happen to be uh, work for the park office. Uh, I do. So. I am a park ranger for the National Park Service, so <laughs> I, I am very familiar with this community. Um, yeah, I think that I think what you're doing is awesome because I think that you're right. You start start with the basics. Um, obviously, when you go camping, it's going to depend on if you've got like a full on RV or whether you're just tent camping as to how many ingredients and how much equipment you want to bring with you. And so if you just start with the basics of things that cook fast and that you can't mess up that, you know, like, like more marbled meats, like I know ribeye's a little bit more expensive, but you're most likely not going to mess that up. Um, shrimp or even scallops or things along those lines always have a cast iron pan. Um, that way you can do your bacon and your eggs and your hash and other skillets for breakfast, but then you can also do, you know, sear off steak or sear off scallops or things things like that. Um, But I think you're right. Once you understand the basics of controlling the fire, the difference between indirect heat, direct heat, and enclosed heat for even when you want to do things like baking in a Dutch oven or something, um, once you understand those three concepts, you can cook anything outside. And once people learn those basics, you're right. That's when they're going to go home and they're going to think, oh man, on this next trip, what if we added X, Y, or Z? Or what if we took it up a notch and tried this? And so I think by teaching on the basic level, it just helps to elevate people and, and take them in this new adventurous direction. Cause they're already adventurous in the outdoors with the new things they want to try and the hikes they want to accomplish. And so they've got that spirit and energy in them. So when it comes to cooking, I think it's just, it's just a match, you know, that, that fits. Yeah, that's awesome. It's a great perspective you have. Uh, Christy, because I'm guessing with being a park ranger, you engage with that community a lot. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Um, well, let's wrap this first ever episode up here. Um, uh, Derek, why don't you tell people where they can find you? Yeah. Um, so you can find me in my backyard in Nashville, Tennessee, cooking over. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, you probably shouldn't come onto my private property. What I would recommend is, uh, finding me on over the or check out my Facebook page over the fire cooking, uh, or my Instagram at over the fire cooking. Sweet. How about you, Christy? Yep. And I'm on the other side of the country in Las Vegas, Nevada, nice and hot. I think it's like over 110 today, Ooh. if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Yep. It's, it's good. It's summer. Um, but other than that, you can find me at girlscangrill.com and my handle is girlscangrill on everything, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, all the good stuff. Awesome. And I'm Jonathan with Brio and you can find us at brio.co uh, is our website. And also that's our Instagram handle on Facebook. Thanks for tuning in guys. We'll see you next time.